Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we are learning to invest like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, and making ourselves better people in the process. How about that? <laughs> oh, I like that. About that for an intro. I like that. We're what are we on? Ourselves... Episode like 241, I think now. Yeah, we're 241 episodes. And we're, we're still working we're on... We're getting close. <laughs> what is this about, this investing thing? <laughs> Well, it really is getting to know yourself a lot better than you do um, if you haven't actually done any investing on your own other than just give other people your money, I mean, Mm -hmm. where you can blame them if it doesn't work out, right? If you haven't taken full responsibility and said, okay, I'm putting 10% of my retirement into this company, if you haven't actually done that, you don't know yourself yet. You Mm, will learn uh, things about yourself. That's a really big statement and I am into it. Yeah. Yeah. Would you agree with that? that. I would absolutely agree with that. You don't know what it's like to be on the precipice and have it be all your own fault. (laughs) (laughs) Can't blame anybody else. Yeah. You have decided to buy this company and you've decided because you believe you understand it now and it has a big moat and you trust the management team and you have figured out the value three different ways, and it's on sale because mm-hmm. of an event that happened. We're in a recession. Here's this company on sale. And now you take 10% of your money and you buy it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That, that's going to get your attention. And it's gonna going to get your attention. Yeah. And your emotions are going to go insane, which is why I always say this money stuff brings out emotions that you would have never gotten to otherwise. It's stuff that is buried, that is buried for good reasons because it sucks and it's painful and it's scary. It is. It is the truth. I mean, Danielle and I were talking a little bit, I don't know, a little bit ago about just how scary it gets when um, things are not going the way that things are not going the way that you, that you think they should go. Um, yeah. And you start you start to learn really quickly whether or not you have done the work. Yeah. If you've done the work and a company doesn't do what you think it's going to do, almost inevitably, if you've done the work and you're being an owner, you will know that way before the market has to adjust to it. The market adjusts very slowly to these kinds of long-term train wrecks that are coming along. A good company is not going to surprise you with some, oh my God, here out of the blue, you know, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. It's going to surprise you with, oh, cotton prices are going through the roof and we're going to have a bad year, right? Not, okay, now oh, actually, we're going bankrupt. I've got a question about that. I'm curious about your, so th- we're going to get to our quick questions about bankruptcy that we promised because I'm really excited about that. But I've got a yeah. question about that because this is something I've been contemplating. So recently in the news, a few weeks ago, it came out that the, it was it the CEO, I think, of McDonald's? was uh, fired, I think, for basically some sort of sexual misconduct situation. It was a consensual relationship, but um, he ended up leaving the company. But McDonald's has a rule against that. Yeah, so the point is, like, he's not going to to. jail, but he left the company. And it was, you know, a blip. And this is somebody who did a good job at McDonald's so far. Mm -hmm. So he's gone now, all of a sudden, out of nowhere. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, apropos of what you were just saying about um, if you know the company that nothing too crazy is going to show up, but like something crazy like that can show up and really be a total left field 
kind of thing. Or what I always think of is Martha Stewart going to jail. Like who would have ever thought Martha Stewart was ever going to go to jail? Something like that coming out of nowhere. What do you think about those? Like, how do you like, not really like, what do you do with investing? But like, how do you categorize that in your brain? Well, you, you have an obligation to buy companies where, um, the moat is so good that really, and, and the moat is so good and the business is so straightforward that an idiot can run the company. Yeah. And you have an obligation to do that because as Warren says, someday an idiot will. Mm-hmm. And McDonald's just had an idiot running the company. And I, yeah. I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I <laughs> yeah, mean, he's no. a guy and he wasn't thinking with his brain. Yeah. And as a result, he's out of there. But if there's a short-term drop in the McDonald's price, but the the business model hasn't changed, you, you will find that these that even the best management of a really good company like that are not that critical to the company's success. They give themselves far too much credit. Mm. Um, in, in the long run, it's the moat that protects the company, and the management team has to protect the moat. So M- McDonald's moat hasn't been affected at all by this guy having an, a, an affair with a person that's in his in his world in McDonald's and his, his departure may give you an opportunity to buy the company cheaper. We'll see what happens, but um, it doesn't change McDonald's model. And as a result, you, you can get in there and get it. And, and this of course is exactly what happened to McDonald's back, gosh, uh, 15, 16 years ago. They had a CEO that forgot the, the, he started to believe that it's true that McDonald's is a real estate company. And that is absolutely Oh, yeah, yeah, manure. that old story, yeah. Yeah, and he started forgetting that it's not. It's a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And if you screw up your restaurant, you screw up your company. I don't care what kind of real estate you've got. And they were having problems with each of the franchises and, and dirty restaurants, surly mm-hmm. waiters. So the whole, or surly staff and the whole thing. And and he got fired and they the company turned around and McDonald's stock went to the roof. So it was a really good example of, you know, this kind of thing. And it does kind of come out of, it It doesn't usually come out of nowhere, um, but occasionally with these CEOs Something in like the that YouTube world, they, is, they like, There's no way that, you know, you and I having no relationship to these people at all are going to know that something like that is No, well, well that'll appear in the front page and that's what the first we'll hear about it. Yeah, exactly. So it sounds to me like you categorize that as not that important. It's a blip. Yeah. Exactly. It's a blip. The stuff that really can change a company is the stuff that can break the moat. And that doesn't Mm. happen overnight. I can't Mm. think of any situations where that happens overnight. Mm -hmm. It's a long time coming. And because Wall Street doesn't really think about moats, they just think every price and value are the same. um, We usually have substantial time before Wall Street starts to react to that. Cool. I've just been sort of pondering that one, so that's good to hear your reaction. But let's right. let's take on a really difficult example, uh, or, or a really good example of this exact thing happening in the news right now, which is Pacific Gas and Electric PG and E. Wait, 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 wait. Can we ask our quick question first? Yeah. Well, that's that's where we're going. Okay. Oh, you're gonna ask you're gonna question. preview the question. Well, I was. PG and E is in the news um, with all these wildfires happening mm-hmm. uh, because of the change in the climate. Climate change happening in California. Um, for whatever reason, right? We could argue about the reason, but I think it's pretty clear that temperatures have gone up. And it's impacting California big time, um, along with a lot of um, social 
social agendas on the part of California's legislature, which is elected by Californians who want this social agenda. And all of this wrapping together has created this huge problem with PG&E. So go ahead with the, the question. Okay. So our quick question, which are audio questions from listeners, which you can leave at investedpodcast.com, is from Joe today. Hi, Invested Podcast. Joe Jordan here. Thank you so much for your wonderful show. Love listening to you guys. Uh, quick question. So I just was wondering how uh, bankruptcy plays a part into a, a business that is still on the stock market um, and being publicly traded, for example, PG&E right now that is going through bankruptcy, but still uh, varying in price. That's my question. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. And as much as I love to hear how everybody tells us how much they love Invested before they give the question, you guys don't have to tell us that every time. We love it. We love to hear it. It's totally okay. Uh, but you, you should also... tell it to us. You should tell it to us every time. I want yeah. to hear it. But we're not picking them based on <laughs> that particular part. The people are just nice and are saying that. So thank you. But you don't have to say it in your... Uh, in your question, feel free to leave a terribly mean comment and then your question. All right. So, well, to be honest, I might cut out the mean part. Um, <laughs> I don't like those sorts of things, but I won't say anything about it. So the question is, let's see if I can do a better job than I did last week of recapping the question. Um, companies go into bankruptcy that are public and that sounds like they should immediately just the stock price goes to zero and the company gets wiped off the face of the earth and everybody gets laid off and it's sad and there's a giant mess and you can no longer own that stock. But that's not actually true. Public companies can go into the bankruptcy process and you can still own that stock and buy and sell that stock on the public stock market. So that's what Joe is asking about. How does a company that has started to go through this bankruptcy process, um, how do we think about that as role one investors, which, as you pointed out, follows on last week's question about events. So this is a huge event to have a bankruptcy. Huge. Couldn't, yeah, get, couldn't get bigger than this. Couldn't get bigger than this. And, um, and absolutely right. <clears throat> and we can talk about um, this slow moving train wreck of PG and E. And I, th I think that's a good place to start mm -hmm. because we don't want to be buying companies if, you know, everything's wonderful. And then all of a sudden it's not, and, and, and we could lose 10% of our retirement on something that just comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And so PG and E is a great example of a company that has had a slow moving train wreck now for about five years at least, um, ever oh, since they, they got their new that. CEO. It's yeah, be. it's longer than that, actually, but a long, long time where you really would have to question if you really want to own this company. So tell us about the slow-moving train wreck. Well, this, And the first, first tell us just, what PG&E is for people who have right. never heard of it. So, so PG&E is the predominant energy supplier, power supply company of California, and um, they provide a huge portion of the California uh, power. So your lights and electricity and all that just comes from a PG&E hookup. Um, and uh, so they are a utility that has been, you know, by government decree, awarded a toll bridge moat. They, yeah. They're a monopoly, essentially. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so if you don't want to use PG&E and you live in San Francisco, you can put some solar on your roof, <laughs> you know, at, at a cost of 30,000 bucks. I just saw a house that's for sale that installed nothing but Tesla batteries for its power sources. Wow. They're in the walls. It's so cool. Yeah. So they're totally independent from PG&E. But unless you buy a million of those, um, yeah, you have to depend on PG&E. Yep. And by the way, the price differential between (laughs) buying a house full of Tesla batteries or using, you know, PG&E power is a night. I mean, you'll never pay it off, (laughs) basically. (laughs) So it's a lifestyle choice. But PG&E, having its monopoly power has the ability, theoretically, like other utilities, to price its power costs into the charge that they they make you pay. So theoretically, a utility will always pass through all of its costs and then have a small profit so that it can have shareholders that get a dividend. And, um, and as a result, utilities are a rather boring stock. They don't tend to go up and down a lot. They, they just pay a dividend and they, they slug along. Hmm. Um, Except for this one. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, actually. This one is a bit of a roller coaster. Oh, man. This ran into a social agenda uh, in California that's very popular of going green and getting away from fossil fuel energy supplies, oil, gas, um, and going to green renewable energy supplies. So they don't want to dam rivers. By the way, California hates damming rivers. And, uh, and in fact, you know, they, they have tried to stop damming rivers in California. So they're not going to get energy that way, uh, through a turbine, which is clean energy, but wrecks a river. And, um, and they don't like nuclear power, which is thought by some people to be green energy, very, very, you know, clean energy, but then you've got nuclear waste and the potential for an accident. Sorry for all the asides, but dad, have you watched, um, Bill Gates's brain on Netflix? No. Oh, you got to watch it because he's investing a ton in nuclear energy and I didn't know anything about it until I saw Mm. that. You guys, it's Mm. so good. Go watch that show. Oh, Um, very good. Yeah. So he's invested so much money in developing nuclear energy that's actually um, safe. Like if there's terrible things that happen that could crack it open it won't actually destroy the environment so and the he's, done of, he's done it he's done it he just can't get anybody to build it yeah exactly yeah it's fascinating yeah. i've read about this and it's like hmm, why does anybody build that okay so here comes bill gates it's because of the political climate thank god for wealthy people so he got right? china to agree to it and then, oh, awesome. and then he had it all, it took like 10 years. He had it all. Uh, this is all according to the Netflix show. I have no other information. Um, so then according to the show, after like 10 years, he had the agreement signed. China was going to do it. It was going to be a pilot project. And then this um, trade war happened between the U.S. and China. And the whole thing got scuttled. And now nobody's building it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. So, so go ahead. Unintended consequences. Okay. Exactly. So. So PG&E um, has, most utilities can simply charge their customers what their costs are plus a bit. And that, that charge is, is um, uh, uh, structured by a utility board or a utility commission in the state. They, they okay it because it's a monopoly. You can't just charge whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how everybody does it around the country, um, except California which has a legislature that's very, very proactive to getting to this green agenda and green power. And it has 
put a demand on PG&E to buy windmill power and solar power from all of the people who want to put those up, and it has to pay a subsidized price. So PG&E has to go in the hole to buy this power because it doesn't come as cheap as uh, as you can get fossil-fueled power. Um, And as a result of that, oh, and the Utility Commission in California is responding to people's demand that they not have higher energy prices. And so they restrict PG&E's ability to raise their prices to match their costs. And as a result, for the last decade or so, and definitely for the last five years, the CEOs of PG&E, instead of quitting out of out of moral indignity uh, or moral indignation, have simply cut back on maintenance of all of the power grid. Yeah, okay. Have, I knew we were going to get to maintenance at some point. Yeah, that's yeah, what's going on here. They have grid that got put out in like 1907. Yeah. And is rusting California, out. California, the what is it, like the fourth richest economy in the world or something like world. that? Yeah. Has in, the infrastructure of a below third world country. It's completely yeah. nuts. And the reason, one of the reasons for that is California is also, while it's one of the richest countries in the world, and certainly one of the richest states in America, I think the richest, has a wildly, uh, um, what's the right word? The rich and the poor are growing farther and farther apart in California than any other state in the union. Yeah, the inequality is... Yeah, the inequality ratio is expanding. So they got the richest rich and the poorest poor. And of course, there's a lot more poor as poor than there are rich, rich. And and the rich people are voting to the like, yeah, have all these people, but not in big enough numbers. What happens is that the, the poor people in California don't want to pay higher utility bills. And so here they're stuck between a, when a, a social agenda to drive greenness and a whole bunch of people who are too poor to pay, I mean, barely could pay for the cheapest power you can deliver, much less... You know, PG&E charging what it really costs to deliver this agenda. I can't co-sign the, it's entirely the fault of the environmentalists. It's all about greenness. I'm sure that it would cost a lot to fix all of that environment, all of that uh, uh, grid. infrastructure. Yeah, the infrastructure grid. Yeah. And you'd have to charge and you'd have to be doing it for the last decade. That's what I was about to say. They should have started it 50 years ago. Yeah. Now to fix it, it's going to cost billions that they don't have. And I don't know how they're going to do it. And what the California government is doing is it's just sort of screaming like a little child that you have to do it, you have to do it, or we're going to take you over, as if somehow magically the state right. can figure out how to do this when they've been the ones in the way of doing it in the first place. Because states are known for doing things so economically. Oh, my God. It's just like watching Atlas shrugged in real time. So <laughs> you, you, just, you, you just feel so sorry for the people who are trying to run PG&E right now, but especially sorry for the shareholders um, although not as sorry because they should have seen this coming. Well, so let's I mean, go. So that's the background. So this right. this company is, um, it's a utility. It is a company unto itself, but it's a public utility. You can own shares in it and you can, it's been like that for how, what? It's got to be like over a hundred yeah, years, years, right? Yeah, decades. Long, long time. Right. And um and they have not been investing in their infrastructure. And because of that, now they're starting to see catastrophic events due to poor 
infrastructure, poor maintenance, poor infrastructure, um, right. poor materials, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they don't have addition, the money to fix it. So that's in the addition, the, the expansion of the, um, the California urban map into places where uh, it would be reasonable to expect a forest fire to burn down your city. That, mm. I mean, that's kind of what's happening. Maybe not Santa Rosa, right? But Paradise, sitting in a valley, surrounded by dry trees, mm. it could easily catch on fire. And those places weren't populated, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago when BGE was building out its infrastructure. Uh, also, forest fires weren't controlled. They weren't, they weren't prohibited as they are in California. Um, and so you end up with all kinds of things happening that have contributed to this problem and the death of 85 people last year in the Paradise Fire and the potential for this to happen again and again and again, yeah. um, which is the really big issue here. So, so what happened point, was there was a huge forest fire in California yeah. last year and it turned out that it was due to, what was it, like faulty wiring, something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Just a, a wire. Basically like something, something and, broke. Um, and it just so it's, the it's fire burned down. Fault. Yeah, it's PG&E's fault. I mean, absolutely. And it's and it killed, but the, a lot of people. You could point the finger a lot of different places, but at the end of the day, if PG&E is going to have hot wires running through yeah. dry timber, yeah, they have to maintain it. And it's pretty. I mean, it's pretty amazing to me that that the executives of PG&E didn't quit in protest, and instead they took the money and just sort of faked their way through it. I, I know, and, and I remember back. you and I had a whole conversation about this because we were just in in utter aghast horror at how this had happened. I mean, imagine if you're, probably people listening to this were personally affected by that. Imagine if somebody you knew died from that. It is the most horrific thing to think about that somebody knew that that could happen and didn't do anything about it. Didn't go public, didn't talk about it, didn't bring it to the legislature with the biggest megaphone they possibly had. And I remember when we talked about it, we talked about, you know, what would that actually do? If like, if like, if I was the CEO of PG&E and I went and did that, I think it would accomplish nothing, to be honest, if two years ago before this huge catastrophe. I think it would have accomplished nothing. I think it wouldn't even be front page news. It would be some tiny little news item in the back of the newspaper, you know, CEO quits and nobody <laughs> would care. I really think that's what would happen because people well, don't pay attention to that kind of stuff. That. Yeah. Well, if you did it like that. Yeah. But if you did it with a moral indignation you would be on CNN and you'd be on Fox and you would be doing the tour and they would have you on because you're the CEO of a major corporation saying, we are not properly maintaining these lines. I guess there if you come at it with that sort of, you know, very dramatic angle, yeah, I guess maybe they would have you on and you could talk about it publicly. Yeah, they, they would. But my guess is that these CEOs were morally compromised in some other way such that they were contributing to that and were not in a moral position where they could go out and say, it's all your fault. The, the, what the do you legislature mean they were could, contributing to that? I mean, they were going along with it for so long that that the legislature would, would maybe be able to come back and say, it's not our fault. You didn't tell us you needed the money until just now mm. or something like that, right? Mm. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of reasons people don't do what on hindsight they should have done. Yeah. 
but that's what they should have done. And, and there's a giant integrity issue there um, for that. And we'll see if this current CEOs, I mean, honestly, when you're getting paid a couple, two, three million dollars a year, it's, you know, your, your integrity could be for sale a little bit there. Well, I mean, and I haven't looked back, but I would bet you that they were talking about how they didn't have enough money to maintain the grid. They talked about it to the state, I can tell you that, and to the Utility Commission, absolutely. Yeah, and, and then they were told, go make the best of it, go pound sand. And they probably thought, and, you know what, nobody else is going to do a better job than me, I'm going to go make the best of it. There you go. Yeah. And get my $3 million a year. Yeah. 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 I'm going to do the best I can. I mean, if they're paying you $40,000 a year, I think you make a stink. If they're paying you $3 million, I think you shut up. <laughs> no, it's up the exact go. opposite. If you're making 40000 you need that 40000 If you're making $3 <laughs> oh, million, you he, go, all right, you know what? I made $3 million last year. I'm doing okay. Even worse then. Yeah. Even worse, I think. So, okay. So now we've got this company that says, whoa, we're going to be sued for 30 to $50 billion and let's hide uh, away from these obligations that we have because we can't pay them all. Let's hide in bankruptcy. So in a typical bankruptcy, you guys, uh, or a typical bankruptcy, a bankruptcy, the way it was structured is called a chapter seven where you go bankrupt and what happens is the court liquidates your company. They basically you're going into a, a structured sale. Okay, I'm gonna court... I'm gonna take a little break here and give you my lawyer disclaimer. All right. I go gotta ahead. do it. Bankruptcy right. law is notoriously difficult and complicated, even for lawyers will not touch it unless you're a bankruptcy lawyer who specifically studied bankruptcy law and has this practiced in bankruptcy law for many years because it is so arcane and complicated and different from every other kind of law. So dad's not a lawyer. I'm not going to say a single word about this and <laughs> do not take this as gospel regarding bankruptcy. This is just okay. um, a, a lay person's opinion from afar about how it works. This is not from very afar. I've been in bankruptcy court fighting for a company. Yes. And but I you're have found not, out that okay. I think there's another reason why lawyers stay away from it unless they're in the club. And that is, it's not because they're not smart enough to figure out the arcane ins and outs of bankruptcy law. I don't agree with that. It's because they can't figure out who's going to judge what. It is a club. You, they don't. They oh, don't yeah. do rational things. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a total just club. nuts in there. And if you're not connected, you're going to get run over by a you know a road grader. So here's here's the, the here's my view of what happens. Chapter seven bankruptcy is clean as a whistle. The court locks down all of the bondholders, the people the company owes money to, and says, "Stop. You're not going to get paid." Um, and they have a, an orderly liquidation of that business, which means they sell off all the assets, they pay off the creditors pro rata in some order of priority, and if there's any money left over, it goes to the shareholders. That's how that goes. That's how you would think bankruptcy would work. But no, that's not how it works almost ever. Here's oh, how it actually that's works. That's the winding up process, what you just described. <laughs> <laughs> Here's how it actually works. Courts have decided it's so important. The most important thing isn't who owns the company. It isn't even what does a company owe. As you saw with President Obama and the potential bankruptcy of G, 
E or General Motors, the most important thing wasn't that the policemen and firefighters who lent the company money out of their retirement accounts got paid. No. Even though they're the, they have every right under the law for 100 years of business law to get paid. No, that was not the important thing. The important thing was protect the jobs. And that has been what bankruptcy has evolved to. That is the overriding consideration of bankruptcy courts now. So what happens is the management teams know that they're not going to have to liquidate if they come to the court with support for what's called a Chapter 11 bankruptcy, which means they're coming in there typically with a hedge fund or some large institutional lender um, who has the money to continue to operate the company during the bankruptcy process. They enter the court with an, with an absolute plan on who gets paid what and how long it's going to take them to exit bankruptcy. And it can happen as fast as 45 days. We're talking a month and a half. They can come into court. Hey, we're bankrupt. They can wipe out the shareholders. So you just completely cleaned out. You don't, you get nothing as a shareholder. The bondholders scrabble over the whatever's left and the court liquidates the debt and bam, you come out of bankruptcy. And guess what? Your management team might own 10% of the company and the hedge fund owns the rest of it and you got screwed. And that is where they are today. And it is a travesty too much of the time. So that's what PG&E did. They jumped into Chapter 11 bankruptcy. They said, Which is officially restructuring bankruptcy, which is why everything okay, you just restructuring. described is the this way is it is. such Rap, I'm telling you, it is an absolute white collar crime going on about, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's a big percentage of bankruptcy cases are flat out white collar crime where there is absolutely value in the business. In fact, PG&E knows that they're not really bankrupt. They have so much assets, they could borrow money against it. They're a toll bridge monopoly for God's sakes. Anybody would lend them whatever they need to get through this thing. But yet they're in bankruptcy anyway. And the reason is, is they don't want to pay what they did. They don't want to pay for all that. They don't want to pay the damages of killing 85 people, wiping out a whole town. They certainly don't want to pay for the wildfires of 2017 and 2018 and 2019. And guess what's coming next year? Some more. And so they have decided they're going to protect themselves by hiding behind some absolute bullcrap bankruptcy laws that protect this this monopoly. Here's the theory and, of the firm response. The theory of from straight from <laughs> like 101, how do you figure out corporate law? They are doing the best they can for their shareholders and that is their duty. Oh dear so, Lord. Yeah. They're yeah. so close to wiping out those shareholders in this. We're doing the best we can. I have and heard yet, that and yet firsthand. that is the argument I guarantee you they're making for what they're doing. Oh, I've had it made to me. This is the, all of the stakeholders considered we're doing the very, very best we can. And I'm sitting there knowing, what are you talking about? You're going to wipe me out in 45 days. How could that possibly be taking my interest in a shareholder into account? And the answer is it's not. It's absolute BS. Okay. So yeah, a couple of hedge funds were invested in this company. Um that thought that the price was pretty cheap based on the fires. And they thought, okay, we figured out how much they're going to have to pay. They didn't see the Paradise Fire coming. They well, yeah. I mean, how could you? Right. Like, I and mean, I, in the sense of mistake. like, it's going to happen at some point, but you don't know it's going to happen this year or 15 years from now. 
Right. And they basically took a big risk uh, with other people's money, which is what a lot of hedge funds do, um, that this thing will turn out well, yeah. right? Because it's turned out well in the past. So, okay, they took a risk and they, they failed. Now, they're going to take their power as shareholders and they're going to fight this chapter 11 that says you're going to get wiped out um, before we start paying off bondholders and all the, all the claims. So we're going to wipe out the shareholders first. And they're fighting like crazy to come out of this with something. And if they do, it'll be a small miracle. And therefore, when we're looking at a company that's gone bankrupt in the chapter 11, and you see the stock still trading, it'll either be trading under their existing trading symbol, uh, which is PCG for Civic Gas and Electric, I think, or it'll be trading under a new symbol, which will be the old symbol plus the letter Q, which says they're in bankruptcy. All right. And so, yeah, the stock is going to trade. And honestly, this is how crazy people are in the stock market. That stock will continue to trade all the way through bankruptcy and trade after bankruptcy is over and the stock has been wiped out. And it'll continue to trade until the, the, the stock is removed from the market. Because people are betting that they don't know what's going to happen, that something could show up and it can get restructured in a way where shareholders are not wiped out. That's why. Well, but this is after the court has already restructured it. It's unbelievable. The stock will still trade, sometimes for a couple of months, sometimes longer. It just hasn't been taken off the, the, um, the market yet. And people are just gambling. It's like, ah, <laughs> let's flip coins. <laughs> and it, Maybe this will go up. Maybe it'll go. I mean, <laughs> I, in other words, they're betting day to day that somebody else will buy it. If it goes up, then it worked. <laughs> yeah, if it goes up, it works. <laughs> Which is to say, my friends, that... Betting that a company is going to come out of Chapter 11 bankruptcy with its shares intact and not either massively diluted or completely wiped out is something that requires a crystal ball a lot better than mine. And there are, there are people who do it. They bet on these things regularly. Mm -hmm. It's a gamble. It's speculation. Uh, when you win, you can win big, but when, you know, most of these are going to lose, you're going to, you're going to lose almost all of them. And of course, what the people do who bet on these is they get really good at selling out to somebody else before the whole thing yeah, disappears. It's super short term. I remember right after they filed for bankruptcy, um, the stock went down and there was a big article, it must have been in the Wall Street Journal, about how... Um, all these hedge funds were starting to pile into that company. And then it did, it went up <laughs> and they were all betting on this very short term, like, Oh, they're going to figure something out. There will be a deal. The government will bail them out was a big theory, um, which who knows, maybe it will still happen. And then, so it went up for a while and then it dropped and it was just, I've been sort of watching this roller coaster of everybody speculating short term on, uh, basically like whatever the twists and turns of this legal case are going to be. Exactly. Which I can mean, be it's fun and different. You know, if you're into gambling, cool, but it's not gambling, an investment. The stock was at 70 and, uh, you know, six months later you could have bought it for 38 and you would have actually made money. It went up, it went up to 48 mm -hmm. right before it really crashed. The company went into bankruptcy and it went all the way down to about seven bucks, and then it went up to twenty three. That's the pop so you that could I have remember. Tripled your money. Yep, I remember that. Could have tripled your I money, was and of course, it. right now it's—I don't know what it is right now—six bucks or something. So <laughs> it's not the game we play. Um, as tempting as it can be to look at the financials of a company in bankruptcy, 
the financials are one thing that's up for up for co- a, a serious question when you're in bankruptcy. Do you really have those assets? Do you really have that book value? Are you really making that kind of money? You know, you just there's just so many claims on it, guys. Don't play that game. I think the key thing to remember about the event criteria is it will recover in one to three years. Exactly. And this is not something where you can say it will recover. Exactly. Very good. Let's leave it at that. Okay. Happy all Thanksgiving right, to, to all our American oh, listeners. Oh, by the way, gratitude is such a powerful tool in your investing career. Agreed. As we said before, Wahei Takeda thought it was right at the basis of becoming the billionaire of Japan. And I just want to say this is a great day in America. For those of you who are in the U.S., we have an annual celebration you guys all know about where the, we try to get together and have a moment where we have gratitude for everything we can have gratitude for in our life. Think of, a, think of tr- maybe on Thanksgiving, let's all try to do a hundred things we feel grateful for. Oh, do a hundred things. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I mean, not do. I mean, oh, say. I thought you, I like do. That's oh cool. Oh my God. We do, do, one, do one day. thing we're grateful for. <laughs> I have been told, because I don't live in the US, I have been told by a number of non-Americans that they think Thanksgiving is one of the best things that the US exports. And I completely oh. agree because I haven't heard of any other country that has an entire holiday just about thankfulness. And it's so beautiful. And I know I've I said this last year that the, my friends here in Zurich, um, they just love the idea of Thanksgiving. And I get all these requests from people to come to my Thanksgiving. And it's just lovely that um, it makes me feel happy that my culture has put this into the world. So it, that's awesome. You know, has some kind of ugly by, origins, but we've turned it into something that's quite nice. And we have at least, you know, many of us have a very traditional Thanksgiving dinner, right? Okay. It's turkey. Mm-hmm. It's cranberry dressing from the can. Mm-hmm. Not, not made separately. It has to be in the can with the ridges. And then yeah, that is correct. Mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes. Really good gravy, really good dressing, uh, and then um, I really like... Are you just oh, reciting the menu of Thanksgiving? Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite what meal of the heck? year. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> On that note, so I think good. we better go. <laughs> all right. All right. We're going to go. I'm getting too hungry and it's almost time to go to lunch. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks, Great everybody. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Time to go play. See ya. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, including show notes and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.